Would you ever contemplate sitting on a plane for over eight hours to attend a reenactment? On this edition of the Reenactors Corner podcast, we're off to Chile to meet a man who does just that. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm great. It's cooler out, and I'm great. I'm excited for our two special guests today. First of all, we have uh, someone that you very longtime listeners will remember from way back in episode four in 2019. Glad to have you back on the program again. It is Ricky. Hey, guys. How's it going? Great to be back. Good to, good to have you, bud. And then our very, very special guest that we are honored to have on the program all the way from Chile and South America, Javier, uh, thanks for coming on. Hi, Grace. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you, man. So to start off, Javier, why don't you just kind of um, introduce yourself and tell us how you got interested in World War II and how you got started with reenacting? Sure. Well, as you say, I'm Javier. I come from Chile, South America. And I guess uh, for us over there, it started the same as, uh, as a lot of you guys here in the U.S. Uh, movies. We get the same movies. It's the games. And that got me starting to reading a lot of World War II, um, doing some research. And I can still remember the, the moment I realized, like, damn, I want that World War II uniform. I was watching a, a Band of Brothers. But unlike some of the guys that do uh, Airborne now, I just watched the German uniform and was like, hmm, I want that. That's what, something I want to do. And one thing took to the other one and some luck in between. And I met some guys that were starting reenactment in Chile. And that's how I got into the hobby. It's interesting to think about starting to do the hobby in a new you know, place or country. And we talked to somebody who was from Iceland recently and reenacting really didn't really exist in his country into he and some friends started doing it. So it's interesting being at the forefront of that movement, you know? That's that's pretty cool. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I call myself as being in the forefront, but, uh, but I know the guys there are. Uh, and they started with very few resources. And, well, you just got whatever was available there. Like you went to the surplus store and there was some uh, old U.S. equipment that came in land lease to Chile, but a lot of uh, post-war Vietnam era equipment. And they started with that and that's how it grew into what it is now. But wow. it, it has, yeah, it has really improved. I've been reenacting now for almost 10 years and it has really improved from what it was 10 years ago to what it is now. Now, I understand through my conversations, you know, with Ricky and also I think with you way back, it's yeah. it's difficult to get items like shipped to Chile. It's very expensive, so it's a bit cost prohibitive now. Yeah, it is. It's one thing to find the things you want. And yeah, you can go to the usual vendors. Uh, not all of them ship to Chile, but you can use yeah. a, a courier or have a, a post office in, in the U.S. somewhere and have it shipped to you. But that usually means adding uh, 50 to 100% more to the price of the item itself. So you're thinking of buying a $100 uh, 
jacket, well, you'll have to think twice because it's a $200 jacket in the end when you bring it to Chile, counting uh, shipping, the shipping from the U.S. Uh, uh, box to Chile and taxes and, well, and sometimes even you have to consider what's the rate at which the dollar is going in your country. Just so our viewers understand... Um, they're listeners, the, man. Or listeners, <laughs> sorry. The, <laughs> the distance from which you have traveled and that items have to travel to get to your country, you've come, what, eight, ten hours is, uh, is, is, is the flight from, what is Santiago? Yeah, the, the shortest flight from Santiago to, well, is to Miami. That's eight and a half hours if you have uh, good weather. And then, well... And you've come further than that, yeah. Yeah, so in the, on this case, I, well, I came with to Conneaut that just ended. So it was then a three-hour flight to Boston. Well, that is more common for you, some of you guys here in the U.S. And uh, then, well, the nine-hour drive we had with Ricky. Uh, well, 12 on the return trip, but that's <laughs> that was traffic. Uh, I'm sorry. That's It's very very impressive distances involved. It's like the reenactor version of planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> yeah, like as you know, Ben has been termed in the past. Uh, it is a logistical nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. It it is. You know, like me. You know, like when I started out, I thought I had it bad with a, a three hour flight or a you know four hour flight. But you know, like I think about Javier and the rest of the guys. Uh, from South America that come up here, you know, it's like, damn, that is a long distance. I mean, like, um, a lot of the U.S. based reenactors see that and they, you know, they appreciate it and hanging out with Javier and, and, and Sebastian. Like, um, it, it, uh, it makes a big impression that, that, you know, some of the guys at the event were like, whoa, these guys, you know, they came to distance. Like, you know, we complain about, like, having to drive and all that, but, you know, one of the things that that um, alleviates driving to an event, no matter how long it is, is that you could bring all your stuff. You don't have to worry about checking it or, you know, I can't take this because of X or Y reason. You know, it, it all it, it's all left to um, the the space you have in your car, you know, and we get pretty creative. But when you when you travel you know, by air or you, you take an airline ticket or something like that. Um, you got to pick and choose what you can take. And sometimes, you know, of course, uh, there's some things you can't really take. And then you got to, you know, ask and, and uh, you know, f for loan or and all that other stuff. Dedication is the word that comes to mind. I mean, actually, Ricky, you both, you and I have flown to reenactments and, Having to think about everything that you want to put in a suitcase, it, it it's funny the compromises that you make, you know, the things that you bring versus that you don't when you only have this amount of real estate in like a little, like a, a little like rolling suitcase, you know, but yeah, Javier, uh, it's, it's very, very impressive what, you know, the distance you've, you've traveled to come to America for this, you know, for this event. So well, for people who don't know, um, Basically, we're recording this uh, a few days after the the big D-Day event that takes place every year in Conneaut, Ohio. And uh, Ricky, you live in uh, New Hampshire, which is in New England, uh, a little bit north of where I live. And uh, Javier, you did you fly to Boston and then travel with Ricky to go to the Conneaut event? Is that uh, how it worked for you? 
Yeah, flew to Boston, Ricky picked me up, and basically the next day, 4 a.m. in the morning, we were up and driving. And the, the purpose of the trip was to uh, was to do the event, right? You came to America to do the reenactment? Yeah, uh, that's exactly, that's the trip. Originally, it was only Conyard, and then, uh, well, some other guys I know, so, I mean, I know, you know them through internet, uh, told me that, well, if you're going to be in the U.S., why not uh, stay an extra weekend and go to the Pumpling World War II in the Pacific event on Virginia? And, well, so it evolved from a single reenactment stay to a two-week, uh, two-reenactment event. So, first time for me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, you are going to Virginia after after you leave New England, before you go back to your country. Yes. That's very cool. Ricky, you and I had talked for a long time about doing a podcast episode that was about, um, you know, when you have to travel to reenactments, when you basically have to fly to reenactments because the events that you want to do are not local and, and flying is the only option. So this this the timing of this trip uh, and to be able to record this episode now with Javier is really kind of fortunate. It Yeah, it, it is, you know, and, and it's like... Um like we were talking about that um some some months back it's that a lot of people don't have a choice but uh you know if if in and and like ben says the dedication i want to do this event i want to be there you know for for me when i started out and i and i talked about this uh in in the last podcast i did some years back is that no when when i started out reenacting there was nobody in in puerto rico that did world war ii like like i you know I couldn't reach out to anybody and, 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 uh, like the guys I reached out were in the States. And, uh, so I thought to myself, what's Florida is obviously the closest state to me. So, so I looked for guys down there and I was able to, uh, uh, find a Tim roll. And he told me, well, if you're willing to come up here, we'll set you up. I got a place for you to stay. Um, I'll loan you a weapon. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. You know, he told me, get your basic kit to, to start with. And I showed up, you know, and it was like, from, from that first moment on, when, when, uh, other reenactors see you step up to the plate and go to the distance, they're like, Hey man, this guy, he, you know, we, we complain about a five hour drive, but this guy I paid, you know, well, you guys know that in my case, like, <laughs> but you know, like not, it's not just the airline ticket. You, you have to get a rental car. If you, you have to, uh, travel additionally, you got to get, you know, if you have to stay somewhere other than the re reenactment, you know, sometimes you have to pack in a way where you, you don't have a normal suitcase. You got something that's bigger or heavier and, and you know how the airlines charge for that. Yeah. And the logistics is is far greater and then sometimes you got to be like well uh do i want to bring this do i want to bring that um and you're not just bringing your reenactor equipment you're bringing your personal uh tra you know like your regular clothes uh a re regular hygiene stuff and it all adds up and you you know you're carrying this luggage like a like lone star and space balls or something like that you know and through the desert um and freaking you know it's a lot it's taxing you know you're you're like it it's it's not it's quite the chore to have all this stuff and i have a very funny story about where i thought to myself well you know what why do i wear some of the stuff with me 
and that way I don't have to pack it. And I did that. I I made the grave mistake of wearing the the first uh, uh, the side lace first boots. FJ. The side lace boots. No, no, no. The the side lace boots are great because they have the rubber, but the the front lace ones didn't. So I'm freaking walking through this glossy floor in a terminal almost slipping like if i was like on on ice or whatever and i'm like well big mistake there (laughs) but i mean you 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 learn along the way you know like what what to take what you can use and of course you know when you're reenacting german you really you want to hide your stuff and you know one of the one of the things that i learned is like well take a helmet without um uh without any any insignia you know and of course the the Jäger helmet's not really associated with uh, the Wehrmacht or anything like that so like I would um I would have my FJ helmet with um with the green cover on and you know it it went as far as like people thought it was an Israeli helmet so you know yeah stuff like that but I mean like for the first what three four years of reenacting i did everything traveling from from uh puerto rico so i kind of you know i learned uh i learned on the fly how how to pack what to bring um you know and that just comes with experience it's um, it's, it's funny ricky the first time i met you um i i i gave you a ride to logan airport <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I I think that was what Collings twenty fourteen or twenty fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, but um, yeah, I gave you a ride to Logan Airport because you were still living, uh, I think, in Puerto Rico or Florida at that point. No, I, I was. Yeah, I was living in Puerto Rico still. That's funny, dude. That's uh, that brings me back. Yeah, and then of course you know I had to haul all that stuff to. Puerto Rico and, and you know I had a whole bunch of stuff and it was just like oh crap you know and then of course you have to like after the event you you know most of these events you don't you know you're out in the field and now you got to like go find a place to tidy up and and you know get a shower and all that and that that's another challenge you know you don't want to go uh all smelly in an airline flight because you know you won't like it. The other people won't like it, you know. To me, and the previous two times I've come to Conyot, uh, is that you come with a certain weight on your back or a certain space that you're filling, and you're not going to leave these, these events and coming to the U.S. with the same things you, you came to the U.S. So you have to make sure that your your luggage is not waiting over now over more than what the airlines allow because you're going to get all the stuff you can get in your country. And yeah, and I don't know how it's in the U.S., but you know, at least in Chile, you also have to get presents for all your family. So uh, there's other considerations when, when when packing up, like okay, what what is I am what I'm taking to the event and what I need to bring back from the event. I totally understand because I mean I also when I go to a new place I like to buy I like to buy things for myself. I like to buy gifts for friends and family, and so it's like it is. I think good to leave a little extra space in your travel bag um, to account for that. Um, also, too, this is just something that occurred to me. Like, if your things get wet at, at the event, you know, like you might want to like dry them out because, first of all, you don't want them getting musty. But also, too, like if they're soggy, that that'll add extra weight, you know. So it's just it's good to be able to I don't know 
lay your stuff lay your stuff out clean it clean it out the best you can before you go to travel again because it's just it's extra difficulty i mean the other thing you could think about is like um you could um you know mail stuff you know if it if it can't make but of course with with javier that presents a big challenge you know like if you buy something that doesn't fit in your luggage you'd be like well you know what i'll uh I'll take it over to uh, FedEx or whatever and send it home. Yeah, that's it's funny you, you mentioned that, Ricky. That is something that I actually have done um, if I'm traveling to an event. I actually have mailed things to friends to receive for me because either it's something like a bayonet or a shovel that I'm just – I don't really want to have to worry about like getting asked funny questions at an airport or it's just heavy stuff and it might cost – just as much to send it through the mail, but um, I, 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 it's it, it's going to somebody who I trust to receive it, you know, and I can send it out a week or two before the event and be fine. So that's also something that I I recommend to people if they're planning on a doing a logistical trip. But of course, that's probably best for domestic, but international different ball game because the costs of postage go up more, you know. Yeah, and it is something I have considered, but luckily uh, I haven't had to do it in the past. This year it might be different. Uh, on the airport, they realized that, well, this extra space we, that I should consider, we were just talking, well, it wasn't there, unfortunately. Mm. Well, I will say this. This is a bit of a change of subject, but, I mean, Javier, you are staying in the States because, you know, you're friends with Ricky, um, who's, you know putting you up it definitely helps to have friends in the community in different regions or different countries and i mean i know and ricky knows you know we've like stayed with people who live in different parts of the country and it's it's helpful it's it, there's a cool sort of sense of community in it you know yeah absolutely uh, and ricky has been super friendly and super helpful in this trip uh, tell you the truth i don't know if i would have been able to make it this year if it wasn't for ricky Especially when, with all of the well, the post-COVID uh, price uh, creep and and everything. So thanks, Ricky, for that. <laughs> no, man. Hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad. You know, I've been there myself. So you know, it's uh, paying it forward. And I know that you know one day we'll, I'll head down to Chile and we could do Fidai and you know. <laughs> so, but that that's the thing. You you create the bond and you create the friendships and 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 you know. Uh, uh, ben knows about this. We got Juan Carlos over in Spain, and you know those guys are super awesome. And you know, like uh, we've hung out with them a lot. Uh, and and like, I guess like like get, getting in touch with Juan Carlos. Ben was able to go and reenact in Spain and do all this yeah. cool stuff. And you know, yeah. we we can't wait for him to come on over because you know we'll do the same for with him. You know, and that's that's what it's all about. You know, we're. We're a group of people that, that uh, share a passion for for the history of the Second World War, and we just want you know want to do this together. Totally, totally, and it is cool to feel the sort of sense of international community. And I mean, of course, it's gone now. But uh, Ricky, you, myself, and Chris, we all fondly remember the Fort Indian Town Gap event, and I mean, towards the end of it, this big event. Uh, was really turning into an international affair where we had people come from Europe and and other places too, and um, 
it's cool to see that there are still, you know, big events where people are willing to travel to from other countries, you know? Um, so, yeah, and I, you know, obviously time off and money are limiting factors, but, you know, if someday I could go to an event in a different part of the world, um, I would love to. So, yeah. Javier, did you say this was the, the third time that you went to the D-Day event in Conneaut? Yeah, third time. What was it about that event that uh, appealed to you and made you want to come and do it? Um, well, I had the, the principal reason why I, I chose uh, Conneaut is that there's another Chilean uh, reenactor that, that has come to, to D-Day Conneaut. This was his fourth time. Uh, Sebastian, um, he's one of the guys that got me into the hobby. Uh, one of these, like you could say, starters of the hobby in Chile, and and he he knew DJ Conyard through. Well, he saw it on, on a TV show. They talked about DJ Conyard, uh-huh. uh, and he just looked at it through internet. Got in touch with people. They were super friendly at the event. And they invited him over, so he went, um, uh, had a great time, came back. And that's when I came into the hobby, and he, well, he told me about it. Uh, I realized that this was a completely different world compared to what we have in Chile, so I set it up as my goal to someday come to the event, and that was 2017, and which the year which I also met Ricky, who, as we were talking, the idea of having friends and meeting people around the world who are into these uh into the same taste as we have. Uh, he he came out to meet us. Uh, he showed us around Boston at that time. And at the event, he also stayed with us, showed us around. That's how I met you, Ben, back there, too. So Yep, yep, I remember. I remember that well. It was a good time. That's really cool. Um, Javier, what are, what are reenactment events like in Chile? Um, there's, they're nothing like, well, Kanye or... Uh, I guess Gap. I never got to go to Gap. That's something I, I will never be able to do, unfortunately. That was one of my plans. But um, I'd say they're, well, for starters, they're usually small. Uh, the World War II reenactment community in Chile is not that big. There are a lot of guys, but compared to here, it's a small group. Not all of, not all of them, unfortunately, for unfortunately, up to the, the standards we would wish. But, well, y- you work with what you have unfortunately and no. they usually revolve around two things either a public uh displays um the biggest one of which is the one um ricky name fidae that's the international air and space fair in santiago de chile the largest in south america and the other ones are smaller you could call them tacticals uh, i don't i don't know if they work the same way as the tacticals here in the in the u.s but the idea is to have uh, these opposing forces look searching for each other and eventually whoever uh, finds itself in the best position is considered to have won. Uh, we try to put some rules in between, but, but basically that's the dynamic. Whoever is in a better position when the confrontation occurs uh, somehow wins. Yeah. Now, Javier, um, is it if, am I remembering this correctly from my previous conversation? Is it true you cannot have, uh, you cannot have weapons in Chile? Um, or do, do some of you have weapons? Is it just like a license you have to get? How does that work? Um, guns are super restrictive in Chile. Uh, yeah. I'd say most reenactors uh, I've met do not have a guns license. So 
most, I'd say all reenactments uh, in Chile do not involve guns of any type. Um, wow. Yeah, usually we use uh, either airsoft guns. Uh, we don't load them with airsoft. We just carry the like the gun around, or Danex uh, Danex replicas. And makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. There, there used to be a moment where there was an attempt to move into um, blank firing guns, or specifically built for blank firing, but a, a recent change in the law. That happened last year, basically killed that because now blank firing guns are also considered guns in Chile. So they are subject to registration and limited ammunition, etc. So that never really took off. Mm. It makes sense. I mean, it's it's interesting because I know in Europe, like guns are also restricted, but uh, at some of the bigger events, there's you can you can rent out a gun even if you don't have the license for it. But I guess. In Chile, reenactment must be so new and laws don't allow for that, right? Yeah, and and even if you had a gun, and I have a replica M1 Carbon, uh, which I use personally for, for sports shooting, uh, I wouldn't be able to carry it on to an event. So walking around with it with public involved, uh, it's a big no-no. You could go to jail for that. So, sure. yeah. That maybe, brings us... Yeah, so, sorry... Just to finish the idea, maybe if it was a private event in a very uh, close place or in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, I could carry my gun around. But it's even then, it doesn't really make much sense because of the limited ammunition and, well, blanks for real guns are basically non-existent in Chile. So I would have to make my own bullets, and that's a completely different world in, in gun laws in Chile. That brings us back around to kind of the idea of traveling for events where I think um, it would be, from what I understand, some European countries, it would be relatively easy to go there, fly there without a weapon, of course, uh, get there, rent a weapon from someone at the event who does that. But um, we don't really have that in the United States or the events that I go to. So I guess... um, if for people, most of the people flying to events probably have to know somebody on the other end at the destination who can loan them a weapon. I mean, that I assume that's what you do for uh, for the D-Day events that you go to, right? Yes, we've been uh, very lucky that people at the event has been very friendly and and this, well, this shows the friendship um, that you can find at these events. People like don't know you. You, but they see you coming from from across the world, from all the way from Chile, and they will lend you a gun. And that's it's amazing this idea of someone you don't know uh, lending you a gun. Uh, it's very foreign to us, uh, and it shows the the trust and friendship you can find find on these events. Well, that's really heartwarming. That's really cool, Javier. Um, what what reenactment impressions do you do, Javier? Uh, my main impression is uh, USGI, 1st Infantry Division. Uh, I am the sergeant of the unit, so second, I'll, no, I'll say third, because there's an, another guy that's a bit retired, uh, but he's still part of the group, and he's something goes, so he'll take the second in command of the unit. And I also do, like, my personal favorite is uh, Commonwealth Forces, Canadian or British. 
I, I do have a few German uniforms. Like the, the, the scene is so small, you sometimes have to <laughs> touch the other group, even if you don't like it. How many people are in your group in uh, in in Chile, roughly? So yeah, my group is currently uh, it, it fluctuates a bit. Uh, the current number I was I was just thinking about it before uh, joining the the call. They are around ten people right now. So not all of them are fully active. Some of them are because of work reasons or other personal issues. But it's usually ten. It, it's been growing lately, so that's okay. good. Do you live in the Do you live in Santiago area, and is everybody else from that that city, or um, is it from the whole country? Uh, uh yeah, I live in Santiago. Uh, the members of the group are mostly from Santiago, although there are a few that come from uh, the neighboring uh, towns and cities, mostly from uh, the fifth region, Valparaíso. But there's reenactor groups uh, all around the country, and and a few new ones have started to form in southern Chile, uh, which is interesting. I never expected for southern Chile to to uh, to start growing its own uh, reenactment scene, independent from Santiago. Uh, yeah, they are yeah, they're still new. They are going through the same phases that the reenactment scene in Chile was like maybe seven years ago this idea of old surplus not exactly world war ii but they close enough to start but yeah we're trying to 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 get them to the standards we have in, in santiago in order to to improve the scene for everyone and more people even if it means traveling a few hours by car or by plane uh means better events for everyone in the end sure yeah i don't know much about uh about I mean, unfortunately, I'd love to go to Chile, but uh, I don't know that much about the, you know, the different, you know, regions or cities in the country. But uh, that said, it's it's cool to think about the hobby spreading like that. Um, also, too, um, do you have contact with people in other countries in South America? Do you know of scenes that exist in, in other countries there? Or uh, do you think Chile is unique in having a World War II scene? It, it's not unique. Uh, there are scenes I know in Argentina and Brazil. Bra the Brazil one is very big. I've seen some of the things they are doing, especially considering that uh, Brazil involvement during the war. So there's a lot of guys doing Brazilian injured art, uh, infantry and Brazilian pilots. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, what was it? The Smoking Snake Division or something? Yeah, the, you know? Yep. Yeah. That's... E, e cobra va fumar. That was their, uh, exactly. that's funny. their saying. That's funny. That's very funny. I know because, well, there I have a lot of friends from Venezuela now that have come to Chile that there used to be a, a reenactment, and, well, and also airsoft. And a lot of these countries, airsoft and reenactment at least start together and they start to break up apart afterwards. That was forming in Venezuela, but, well, the political events have meant uh, that this assists because they've already had troubles with the, the law branding yeah. them sometimes as uh, extremists or paramilitary even though they are just trying to play and have fun on themselves it's crazy to think about how you know that's that's a scary possibility uh in you know some places um even to here in america um also too has the covid pandemic affected the reenactment scene in chile i don't i mean again i don't really know what covid restrictions were like in your country so do you want to comment on that 
Yeah, basically, COVID restrictions, I don't want to say killed the hobby, but it definitely put it to sleep for three, year, for three years. Basically, there were no events in 2019, 2020, and even 2021, it was really, really slow to start up. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. The restrictions in Chile were, I'd say they were pretty strong. Uh, the curfew lasted for almost three years. They were... Uh, Jesus. The... Um, what I'm sorry, I forgot the word in English. When they are not don't allow you out of the house, um, or lockdown, in, right? Uh, lock, yeah, lockdown, lockdown, yeah. The word. Yeah, so we had lockdown for several months uh, at a time, uh, and so, and even if you could go out of your houses, you were not sure you would be able to go to the places where the events were going because you were not able to transit to those places in lockdown. And there were restrictions on the amount of people that could meet. You, there was an obligation to wear. Uh, a mask obligation that still stands in some places here in Chile right now. Uh, so yeah, it was basically the event, the events and reenactment in Chile went to a complete standstill. I, I even had to, well, I've talked to Rick about this. I had to change my plans to come to Connie. They were supposed to be on 2021 to 2022 because of the restrictions to leave the country. I mean, like uh, what I was planning to go down there earlier in the year, but. They, you know, even though I, I was vaccinated, they wanted the, the boosters and and you needed to get this card to get around, right? Um, yeah, you need to have two boosters and they're talking about a third one now, but that's going into politics. I don't want to go into politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting, you know, different places, they have different regulations and um, I think sometimes maybe... I might take the freedoms that I have for granted, and also too, it's just like it's different ways of doing things, you know. Yeah, uh, and I don't want to paint a back picture of Chile in this sense. I love my country, but but yeah, uh, sometimes it's an issue. Some things that are are not even are a no brainer here in the U.S. Ricky, um, we haven't talked on. We actually have never talked on the podcast because when you were on before, it was just you and Lassa. Um, You've traveled, you've flown so much for uh, events. Where are some of the places that you've flown to to do reenactments? Well, I mean, uh, mo most of the time I'd go to Florida um, th since that's the unit where I started with uh, uh, FJR3. So basically, you know, like um, I created a great friendship with, with Tim. And whenever we would have an event, I would... Uh, you know, we coordinate, like I'd show up, he'd pick me up, i stay in his house probably, um, sometimes we'd stay the night before, sometimes uh, he'd pick me up and we hit the gr uh, the ground running, uh, heading towards the event. Um, I mean, like, uh, up flying up to the Northeast, um, and actually, with some of the guys on the West Coast, um, I mean, it's a great scene out there. Um, I did a Tunisia event, and... Uh, the guys over there, they're a great bunch. The site was super awesome because it was the first time I did kind of a dry desert uh, environment. These guys were, were doing Africa Corps. Um, there was a guy that did Italian and um, had some of the guys doing uh, um, light Durham infantry and uh, GIs as well. Um, and it was just uh, an amazing change of pace in the sense that we're used to the forest. Um, we're used to like you know all uh, the New England weather. I was used to like the Florida weather, 
and seeing something as different as Oregon and, and Washington State, it, it really blew my mind, you know, that, that uh, wow, these are great scenarios. It's worth coming out here just to see, see the change of scenery and to do something, uh, something new and fresh. And that might be the same for the guys over the West Coast, you know. Like uh, I know uh, this kid, uh, Thomas uh, Yip, he did the, that epic road trip where he looked like he was like uh, freaking the Andy, uh, the Anthony Bourdain of reenacting <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and it, you know, um, freaking, it it's just cool to go places and have the hot, you know, like how how the hobby complements traveling. Sure. You know, like I've. T- I've talked to the um, um, uh, this guy from Australia. He's like, "Hey, man, come down over," and you, you know, well, it's no secret that I'm in the plains, you know, and all that stuff. And they got the they have a, a, a um, an Australian P40 that flies, and I'm like, "Hell, would I go all the way down to Australia to just, you know, put my pilot kit and pose next to the the P40?" Hell yeah, man, you know, and it's and, and it's not just, you know, the reenacting part, it's meeting the people, seeing the places, you know, and Ben could, could say the same to you, sure. when, you know, like, like, um, you, when you combine something that you love doing with another thing that, that, that is, 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 uh, fun and amazing to do, you know, it, it just, uh, it just, it, it it turns into something uh bigger you know and it's just it's just nice to be able to to uh to find different places to to do that but on on the other hand you know like um you don't want to overdo it you know totally totally i mean i think there is something to be said you know if you want to go to a new uh country or place you know like Sometimes you might want to take in the culture and eat the food and do the tourist stuff, and sometimes you might want to go to a reenactment, you know. So, but it's like, exactly. but you have to like, you have to like make that decision. Like, what is worth your time if you only have a certain amount of time off and money you can spend on these things, you know? But, uh, but that said, um, I mean. I just remember when I was lucky enough to do events over in Europe, um, I just, I have these absolutely unforgettable moments of just, you know, like marching along through this, like, Spanish scrubland, um, and it just, it looked like something out of a spaghetti western, because, I mean, honestly, it was something out of a spaghetti western, you know, and like, just like a column of, just like seeing a column of troops, like, marching down in a this valley that looks like something out of the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know? Ben, I think the Spaghetti Westerns were filmed in Italy. No, they weren't. It was Italian directors shot in Spain. Oh, wild. It was in Spain, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everything. There's a famous picture of, uh, uh, what is it, Clint Eastwood and and, um, uh, the guy who who did the the bad, and there's a a Guardia Civil, you know, the the national police over in... uh, Spain, you know, the weird leather the, hats. The, the yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. It's um, yeah, I knew it, Chris. I, there's a museum oh, somewhere in Spain dedicated yeah, I, I to. I didn't realize yeah. that it was that that it was they were called spaghetti westerns because it was the uh, the directors. The directors, the directors were yeah, Italian. But, but yeah, the other big reason to to actually go to distance for an event is to be in the actual environment. You know, like. Uh, for for instance, you know, if you if you want to do an Africa event, kind of like doing it in New England, that's 
not really the place for it. You know, you you're not you're not going to look right with with a uh, tropical uniforms with in the autumn or anything like that or even in in the summer um but you know the the other the other thing to think about like you know if if you go to an actual place where it happened you know and uh i mean that's that's a big draw too because you want to be in the actual environment of 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 the battle or or the era that you're portraying you know you want to be in the desert you want to be in the snow you want to be in the mountains you know, um, I guess what uh, a, a good example is that um, Gebirgsjäger event they do in Switzerland, you know, um, to, to, to be able to, to go and do an immersion event in the actual environment that, that your impression uh, stems from. You know, that, I think that, that's a big draw as well. You know, like um, I always... You know, and I think about this all the time when I go, I, I go back home to Puerto Rico. I'm, be, I, I, I'm like, damn, wouldn't it be awesome to do a Pacific event here? Because it's the tropics here are just like the Pacific. You know, it, it's hot, it's sticky. There's rivers, sure. You know, and it, it's muddy and all that. And and, and and you know, I, I, if something could be done with that, it, it could, it could be draw. It's like um, right now, you know, I do Spanish American War with the guys back in Puerto Rico, and we're. We're thinking about doing an event. Well, we're planning to do an event next year, and we want guys from the states to come as American because we, you know, like it, it's it's where it happened. It's 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 the you know you're in the actual environment where it happened, and it it all you know it it enhances the experience. That's really cool, Ricky. And it's true. I mean, I think there really is something to it. You know, like uh, I remember I have these memories of being in Norway and doing events there. And, um, you know, Norway was occupied by the Germans and we were places where the Germans built fortifications and some of these things are just remarkably well preserved. Um, and it's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, have a hypothetical understanding of what happened in World War II. It's another thing to actually go to the place where it happened and, you know, to see the battlefields and, see what's what remains um and i think that gives an entirely new appreciation of it all you know oh no a absolutely you know it's like with rev war in england you know most of the reenacting done there is in places where it actually happened and and it all you know it adds it adds to that that dimension where where you're there you know you're you're not you're not in a place where you're pretending where that place is you're at, you're in the actual physical area where it happened. I know I've talked about this with you, Ricky, and with Chris as well, but one thing I will give to uh, Revolutionary War and Civil War reenacting in America is a lot of these events are on the actual battlefields where they happened or near enough there, and that adds its own sort of gravitas, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, let's talk about, you know, Waterloo, you know, I, I think it's what, every five, seven years they do that reenactment. They it, do it in the actual place where it, it happened, you know, and that's crazy. crazy. They have crazy numbers. You know, I've seen that the, the, the videos of that are just insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's insanity, man. It's like, uh, you know, um, what it's like 10,000 people, some craziness Holy like that. Holy hell, I'm, dude. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, 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 
I don't know. I, I might be exaggerating. I, I, I hope it's 10,000. No, nah, it's probably like five or something still, like that. Still, that's, probably, that's cool. That's very impressive. It's still a large number, yeah. But yeah, you know, like, and, and those are things that, like, make you, you know, want to go go to the event. And the other thing, you know, and it's like Fig had that, you know, where where you had the people. You had, you, you had um, the, you know, stuff like the French Cafe. You had benders. You have, you know... That's another thing to think about. Like, I go to this event, I'm spending money on all this, you know, I might as well get the deals here because I don't want to, you know, pay for shipping and all that. I'd rather just check it on a bag in a plane and, you know, yeah, sometimes your eyes get bigger than your luggage, but, but you end up getting, yeah, I, 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 I know Javier, Javier's been on this with me where you, you end up trying to fit something and you're pounding on your bag because you bought these really cool boots oh, and no. you know but hey it happens man you know like uh <laughs> um but yeah you know it, it it's all these multiple factors but i think it comes down to where you enjoy and going to an event and you feel welcomed and you come back for more you know yeah, that's really well said ricky um that's really well said um, you guys just came back from uh, that D-Day event. Why don't Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's hear about this year. Time? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the big things of going to D-Day Conyot this year, and you know, in the aftermath of, of COVID and and having lockdowns and not being able to to reenact, you know. I, I think this is the first event where I just saw it back to its full force before COVID. Like, you know, the numbers were there. The public was there. You know, there was no, oh, we, we have to close this place off and no social distancing. And, I mean, the thing that, that, that was more heartwarming for me is that I was able to see all my friends once again. You know, people I haven't seen since 2019. And... It was it was awesome. Everyone was in a great mood because they wanted to be there, you know, and it was just, you know, it, it, even though it was hot and, you know, how wearing wools and hot weather could be and all that, everyone was just glad to be there, you know, and it, and it was just cool to see that all around in all the camps, no matter if you were, you know, doing German, American, Commonwealth, uh, uh, French forces, you know, that they, they have the, the, um, the resistance guys and, you know, you're walking around and you're just saying hi to everybody and everyone's just so happy to see each other. And, you know, like, um, I think, I think that was one of the best, uh, best things about this event, you know, where getting to see everybody just like, like uh like it should be no i was gonna say that's cool like i miss that about events i do you know like it's always it's, i mean they, they they were asking for you man like <laughs> hey man where's ben and i'm like well I, i'll talk to him he'll, he'll he'll come back so you better make it you better you better make an appearance man look man i know i i i, I would go to connie it again you know this year unfortunately real life conspired against me but no i would i would return to that that event in the future you know it, don't don't worry. I, I got a countermeasure. I'm just gonna print your face and then like wear it like a mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what impressions were you guys doing at the event? So I I was doing a, a Hampshire regiment uh, with with the British Commonwealth, and then like during the during the evening or or like I went to the um, USO dances RAF guy, 
And, uh, but of course, like, uh, um, I guess you could take it from here, Javier, since um, you went as GI because because of uh, the other guys, and and you know you you um, you you guys decided to that. So I'll I'll let you talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I went as a GI, um, like well, like Ricky said, I, I had made the promise that if more Chileans uh, join us this year, I would uh, I would come as a as a GI with them, and well, <laughs> they did two more. Well, a guy and a girl join us this year. Um, the other Javier, Javier too, as we call them, uh, and Mile. She went. Uh, well, he went as a GI too, and she went as a, as a nurse. Although she, I, end, I think she ended up working more of, as a WAC than as a, as a as a nurse. So yeah, and in the afternoons, just like Ricky, I also cut, took my KDs, my RAF KDs. So I, I walked with him in fluffy boots all, all around the camp. Wow, that's that's that sounds great, man. That sounds like a really good time. I'm really happy for both of you. Um, how many people do you think were there overall? I mean, I either yeah, either to say it's like the the numbers pre COVID. So like a thousand know, people. people were up. That's awesome. That's really oh, cool. Oh yeah, yeah, and the public was there. You know, I, I remember. I do remember uh, the town was very friendly on the reenactors too. Yeah, they, they, they love it. They, oh yeah, man. They they were all happy to see us there. You know, like. Um, we go. We we went to um, we went to the bars and all that, and you know they they're working because all you know they don't have this influx of people uh, they, for the rest of the year, and but still they they were like you know even though with the pressure of having more people than usual they're they were always happy and 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 elated to, to have us there, and I think it's it's one of the few events where. You really feel welcomed by 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 the public, and and uh, and the people there. You know, it, it, it's just such a nice feeling that that you know everyone gets that. You know, we're historical reenactors. There's no politics or anything involved in this. We're just here to, you know, uh, do all this stuff. You know, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I do recall. You know, when I think I went in twenty. 17 and 2018 with you actually ricky and it was it was a pretty warm reception from all the townsfolk you know so gotta gotta hand it to all gotta hand it to them you guys must have had to put some logistical effort in just to secure a place to sleep or a place to put up your tents or whatever it was right and yeah what did you do what, what was the sleeping accommodation like ricky well mate for for me i brought i brought my two-man tent like you know usually whoever you fall in with um, they have, you know, they, they have all the, the camps divided and you just show up to your, um, uh, your unit commander and, you know, whoever's in the chain of command, they'll assign you a spot. Uh, it's, it's really nothing to it, but, um, I'm guessing, you know, Javier could, could fill you in on his unique situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah so for, at least for, for us, one of the first things that usually stays at home when you're trying to pack is your... It's your tent, so yeah, no, no chances of bringing uh, the pop tent, not even the half. So we depend on, well, like Ricky said, on our unit commanders helping us set up somewhere. They usually either get us a pop tent, and that's what happened in 2017, uh, or they get us a, a place in a larger tent, like this year, where I got a, they gave me a, a place in a squat tent, so I was sharing it with with the guys that actually ended up being the unit during the my unit during, during the event, the D, the guys from the Company yeah. 16th Regiment First uh, Infantry Division. Now, I recall a funny story from 2017 when we went to Connaught, where basically we pitched our tent in kind of a poor 
place uh, at the bottom of a hill, shallow hill. Yeah, I remember oh God, too. I remember yeah, that. and then uh, <laughs> it, it began to rain profusely. Um, you know, the, this like a cloudburst came down, and all of a sudden we were just, you know, the the sky was just pure water, you know, and uh, so we frantically dug a trench around the tent uh, with entrenching tools to keep it from basically totally washing out and then we had to bail the trench out um, using a mess tin uh, a gas mask canister and my hat uh, and there's a very funny video of uh, that Ricky took of us frantically bailing for our lives I gotta dig that up you you were laughing maniacally I, I, as, uh, yes as I do as I do you <laughs> You you dug more water than 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 Earth that day. I I truly uh, did. I truly did. But I was gonna ask, given sometimes in different parts of the country you get weather you're not accustomed to. Did it rain at all or no? They said it was gonna rain on Saturday night, and I think you know a lot of people preemptively prepared for that. But I mean, like, uh, it wasn't too bad. You know, I found myself like. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, crap, it's it's going to, you know, but it was just regular steady rain. Right. Luckily, mo mo most of the thunderstorms stay south of uh, the town and all that. And uh, we were we were able to to, you know, stay dry, all things considered, you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like, you know, uh, like when you had the 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 salt sinking into the water and stuff like Noah's that. Ark, Noah's um, Ark and I'm bailing with bailing with my hat, you know, that was that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, funny, unfortunately the, they told us at least as the GIs that the storm was going to be big and a lot of guys uh, decided to leave early. So yeah. as, as soon as the event ended at 6 p.m., uh, a lot of the tents were already down and the people was leaving, which was kind of a uh, sad because you were you weren't able to properly say goodbye to the guys you had spent the whole weekend with because they weren't going to the, sure. to the after party and I, I, at least in my position I found myself without a tent that last night so thanks Ricky for la letting me stay on the car. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know, in, in all fairness, you 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 tend to think conservatively about these, this sort of thing where you know like. Like, uh, well, do I really want to stay and chance it? And, you know, you can't blame anybody for it. And, uh, but it is, it is what it is. You know, you can't, like, like, it seemed like a sure thing that the weather was going to hit, but at, at the end of the day, it wasn't as bad as, as, uh, as it was forecast. I know that from both sides. I mean, for, from one, yeah, I've definitely been in places where, I don't get to say goodbye to people who I wanted to say goodbye to, or you know, people leave and I, I don't get the chance to say goodbye. But all, but but also too, like sometimes you know, you've you've gone to the event, you've had a good time, you live, you know, relatively close, and maybe you just want to go home and shower, you know, yeah. and have a relaxing day the next day. So, oh, absolutely, I, I know I know both sides of this 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 predicament. I mean, you know, in all fairness, like. Uh, if you live two to four hours away from the Easy, event, you know, but and, if you dr driven and, 10, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and it all depends. And it's like, you know, guys have bigger tents and they have more stuff. And, you know, if that stuff gets wet, it's more effort to like 
dry it out and 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 you know all, all thing all things that the you know just food for thought you know and everyone's different like you know the other thing you have to think about is like uh, a lot of people you know they go back to work on monday and you know you only have a certain amount of time where well do i bolt now and i get home already and i could set everything up and be ready for for the work day or do I stay and then I take my time uh, going uh, going back home, you know? And everyone's different. Every, everyone has a different situation. But, like, you know, me personally, yeah, if I was, like, one hour away from, from the event, I would have been like, okay, I'll pack up, I'll go home, and, and that's the end of it because, one, my stuff is going to stay dry. I could toss it in the garage or whatever. Two, I'm already home. You know, one thing less to the the think about, but it it all depends. You know, like I want to stay, uh, spend time with my friends, or or you know, the drive is too much. You know, some people said, well, we'll just get a hotel. Other people were, re and everyone's different that way. You know, and you can't, you know, there's no there's no right or wrong here. Sure, sure, and I mean sometimes if you sh sometimes you know. If you show up early, you know, and maybe you show up on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, like the idea of going home Saturday night and having all a Sunday to recuperate if you can't take the Monday off. It's nice, you know, it's it's nice to be able to ease yourself back into reality. No, absolutely. You know, yeah. and the other thing to think about this event, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, most of the events where we show up on a Friday and, and, and we're out on Sunday and we're basically only um, you know, sleeping in, <coughs> excuse me, and two, uh, two nights, you know, we got there on Wednesday, you know, and I talked to somebody who got there Tuesday, you know, it's, it's people go all week. Oh yeah. It's, it's an, it's, it's a, it's an experience for sure. I mean, I tell you, I slept in my bed and I just, was, I, I was like, oh my God, this is like the best thing ever <laughs> I, after sleeping in the floor. For, sure. Sure. You know, like. I tell I tell you what more and more I realize you know I'm not getting any younger when I sleep on the floor you know fair enough yeah the older I get the more I realize the wisdom of that you know oh yeah I, it, it, and I mean it's there's a lot going on in this event you know you got that it, and they you know this year they threw in like if you were Commonwealth there was airborne battle and some of the guys um, some of the guys did airborne and they saw their chance to do that. And you know we're doing battle uh, uh, Friday and Saturday in the case, and, but there were guys doing battle since Thursday. Holy you know, cow, man! Thursday wow. to Saturday, and I mean uh, Friday was pretty hot. It was what a ninety degrees, something like that. Ninety three, they told us. Well, I, ho I hope you got a so, I hope you got a dip in the lake, you know, or uh, cool off somehow. Nah, man, I'll t I I won't touch that lake. <laughs> Look, I know I know you're spoiled. You come from an island with lovely beaches, you know, but I don't know. I I I went in the water. It, it, it wasn't that it. bad, Ricky. You should do it next time. Nah, man, you know I don't. Tr you, you know me, I don't trust beaches with with palm trees and coconuts falling off. He's he's spoiled. He's spoiled. You come from a place. You come from a lovely island, you know. <laughs> Reggae come from a place where the water comes from the Antarctic, so to me it was perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know I, I come from a place where you know the the water is like a uh, freaking you know it's it's transparent, so you know I could see the fishes a hundred feet down and all that stuff. <laughs> ben, ben, ben yes, knows I've, what I'm I've, talking I've about. I've seen the Puerto Rico beaches; they are they are quite delightful, you know, <laughs> especially compared to Lake Erie. <laughs> no, but you know that. 
that that's the other thing to think about you know you're you're out there you need the you get you know like um getting a shower or or you know washing yourself up after that day it it's it's not about being clean it just recharges you yeah. you know you're 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 hot you're wearing the wools and then once you get that that water and you clean yourself up you feel like a new person you know and and it's like it it was hot that on on friday you know and and uh i think it was more like standing out in the beach waiting for for the boats to come in because you're you're out in the open and and the sun is blazing and you know you you uh you have the sand there and and uh because moving around wasn't too bad, but it, it got it got pretty hot. Uh, Saturday was a whole lot better though. There was a little bit more breeze. It was a uh, it was what around high 70s, low 80s. So it was a bit more bearable. And then of course you're adding the fact that you're wearing a uniform that's not meant for that type of weather. You know well, all these wools. I'll say this. I yeah go ahead. I went to Normandy, and Normandy itself is. I went there in the summertime, and you see photos from, you know, the actual Battle of Normandy where they're wearing, you know, the Americans are wearing, you know, the M41 field jacket, and the Germans are in wool, and the British are in wool, and you think, oh, it's the summer, like, it, why the hell are they all, you know, wearing all that stuff? Normandy itself is actually quite cool and temperate. It was very foggy there. Um, I actually, I didn't, I didn't dress, I didn't dress right i didn't bring any i only brought shorts i didn't bring you know pants or trousers and um i was actually quite chilly the whole time so you see why they were dressed up like that so actually you know midwest ohio um in august is is not actually like the weather that they had in normandy france so just things to think about you know oh yeah all right guys we could probably talk about this for hours um and I certainly love hearing about it, but I think we are just about out of time. Is there anything else um, that you guys wanted to say before we wrap this one up? No, nothing other than say saying thanks for letting me, for inviting me to this uh, podcast today. <laughs> it's been really fun. Of course, it's great to get the you know your perspective. Yeah, it's awesome to talk to you both. All right, Ricky. All right, Javier. I hope to hear from you soon. All right, sounds good, guys. Javier, good luck at that uh, upcoming event that you were you were going to. I hope you have a great time. Thank you, and thank and again, thank you for. I hope you can forgive any mistakes on my <laughs> on my English. I, I've studied English all my life, but but when it comes to it, uh, it sometimes just fails. <laughs> your English is great, Javier. It's totally fine. Yeah, your it's you... your English is better than uh, a lot of people that I know who were born in the United States. <laughs> And, uh, you know. Put a bit of truth in that. <laughs> there, there you go. Oh, oh, by the way, Chris, thanks for the shirt. I, um, I'm using it right now, and and the extra merch. I love it, man. Cool. Yeah, that was for the t-shirt project was fun, and uh, hope to have some other merch coming out soon, so everyone can keep an eye out for that. Just wanted to say before we go, uh, an extra special thanks to all of the Patreon supporters. Uh, we really appreciate your support very much, and we couldn't do without you. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters. Okay, so to Ben and Javier and Ricky and everybody else out there, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. We'll see you guys in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast. So why not let us know by reaching out in all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for The Reenactors Corner and you'll find us there. 
and maybe think about supporting us via Patreon. No matter how big or small, your monthly donations make a huge difference. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month. As ever, thanks to Mike, aka Retroman, for editing the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and will join us here again at the Reenactors Corner. <laughs>